imagine if you could overhear private, unfiltered conversations between the world's most influential and inspirational women? Now you can. Welcome to Leadership Global, where you'll hear from inspiring leaders who will help you define your vision, grow your leadership, expand your influence, and increase your impact to leave a lasting legacy. Hi, thank you for joining Leadership Global. We're excited to have you with this week's podcast, welcoming a really special guest this week, Patrice Matamoros. And Patrice is going to be talking to us about a subject that I think we have all struggled with before, how to stand your ground for win-win negotiations. You know, negotiations can be one of the most challenging aspects of leadership, no matter what the nature of the discussion is, whether you're an artist or you're a freelancer, an executive, or part of a Fortune 500 company, having sharp negotiation skills is absolutely critical for your career. Training in the art of negotiation and learning how to stand your ground actually creates a broader path for the road to financial and professional success. There will be times, of course, when you have to admit defeat, you have to back down, and you have to make best of the situation. You won't get your way every single time. But by standing your ground initially, you have the opportunity to show your character and communicate effectively your thoughts, your position, and your concerns. You may be negotiating a million-dollar contract, an improved benefits package, or even negotiating with your toddler over fashion choices. But no matter what you're discussing, practicing a few techniques can help you navigate smoothly, even through the most difficult negotiations, to help us learn how to stand our ground in any kind of negotiation, please help me welcome Patrice Matamoros. We're thrilled to have you with us, Patrice. Serving as the CEO of the Pittsburgh Three Rivers Marathon, she applied her talent and business acumen in sales, community building, and strategic planning to grow P3R into an $8 million lifestyle organization that generates $13 million in economic impact today. Her ability to create long-term partnerships helped build key relationships with companies like Dick's Sporting Goods, Brooks, GNC, the Pittsburgh Steelers, and the Pittsburgh Penguins, and let's not forget about the Pittsburgh Pirates, among others. Her unbound approach to community is also included in cultivating relationships with charitable organizations, which led her to assist nonprofits in developing new revenue streams and increasing funding by creating a sales platform within the marathon space. Balancing doing good and driving results has helped her establish a consulting firm focused in supporting various lifestyle brands and nonprofits all across the U.S. Please join me today in welcoming Patrice Matamoros. Thank you so much. I am so excited to be here and I'm looking forward to our talk together. I think that it's fantastic what you guys are doing. And thank you for including me in your podcast. We're thrilled to have you, Patrice. So I'm going to just jump right into, you know, the first question. And I loved hearing about your journey, but for our listenership, tell us a little, tell them a little bit about your journey and what led you to have such passion around holding your ground for win-win negotiations. 
So my journey began with, uh, I worked with a division of Ford Motor Company and rose fast, fast through the ranks at Ford um, in a major sales position and then ended up having kids. I had three kids and I'm kind of kind of person who says, okay, I'm doing this and I'm going to just do it, right? So I had three kids in four years and worked in uh, nonprofits. That was one way that I could volunteer, keep my skill set home because I chose to stay at home with them. And then I got involved with all of these different fundraisers, primarily women and children's organizations, um, and ended up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and uh, put together a really large-scale event with uh, the Rockettes, and it was for foster children. And that was kind of where I got my start, but then I continued to fundraise and I didn't, I volunteered for 10 years while my kids were in school. Then I got asked to put on the Dick's Sporting Goods Pittsburgh Marathon and it was a nonprofit. It had not been formally like put together yet. And so there was no money uh, at, at, at all. So I used my credit card to start the marathon. There had been a hiatus for the last uh, five years and uh, the some former board members had said, hey, Patrice, would you like this opportunity? I was a runner in college. So I was like, oh my gosh, it's like a dream come true. And I said, absolutely. And they're like, well, we don't have any money to pay you. And I said, that's okay because I'm a salesperson and I'll make the money. So I went about my merry way uh, that first year and ended up, uh, I needed to raise a million dollars in less than a year. I uh, was able to do that. And then we sold out the event at over 10,500 the first year. So it was a really successful event, uh, but we needed to, you know, build that event and learn. And now today that organization is an, over an 8 million annual organization and it has a really strong team of 30 people. And we have partnerships all over the globe uh, doing event management, primarily in the city of Pittsburgh. So. Wow, Patrice, what a story. And congratulations. I tell you, the one thing that really strikes me listening to you is the confidence that you have to have in your own skill set and your own ability to say, it's okay that I'm not being paid and I have to bootstrap this with my own credit cards because I believe in my ability to sell, to create a whole groundswelling of support around this event. And I know that I have the ability to drive revenue for this. I have the opportunity to negotiate and to sell in a way that creates fans for this new event. So congratulations. That's amazing. And, you know, I've heard that exactly knowing exactly what you want from the negotiation is absolutely the first step. So knowing the boundaries within which you will or will not settle and exactly what your desired outcome is, is job number one. Um, but I would also argue that doing your homework and remembering that knowledge is power it may be actually the very first step. So how did you prepare for this conversation? You entered into some really tough negotiations, like with the Pirates and the Steelers. How were you able to rethink your strategy and really develop a winning strategy to create that groundswell of support for this brand new event? So I think it's really important to note, although I was really successful, I did fail in the beginning with uh, one key negotiation. So I kind of wanted to give you a little bit of background about one that didn't go well. 
and really kind of how that changed how I went about working with the next people. So one of the uh, one of the negotiations that I needed to have in the first year is, of course, a, a marathon takes up 26 city miles. And I wanted to be able to put the, run the course near the Steelers and the Pirates stadiums because runners would, it's just an iconic area in Pittsburgh. It's flat, which is not like Pittsburgh. It's along the riverbed. It's beautiful. And so I walked into the Pirates meeting and, and the Steelers too, you know, bouncing in all excited because I'm going to do this marathon and this is what it's going to be. And I said, so how are we going to work together? And they looked at me and they said, we're not. And I thought they were joking. <laughs> so that negotiation from there went really downhill. But I think that is a key thing that you have to think about. You're going to have these things happen to you in business. If you're going to be successful, you're going to fail. So what I did was I, after I learned that they weren't joking, I wasn't able to run on the North Shore. I wasn't able to put the runners there. But what I did was I look at a like a long-term approach, right? So that was the first meeting that didn't go well. So I'll just get another meeting and try to figure out what I need to do that's different so I can run the next year um, next to the stadiums. And so by doing that, I put a plan together. And I think you have to do this when you're negotiating um, with anybody you're negotiating with. You, you really have to lay out a plan. And it's not looking at what you want because too many times people go into negotiations thinking about what their end game is and not really thinking about what the other party's end game is and what their interests are. And you're also take it personal when they say no, but you can't because you have your interests, they have their interests. So how can you merge them together? And so one of the things that I did was I continued to send updates to the pirates. I put myself in positions where I would get to go and meet with the president of the pirates and the Steelers. And I asked for meetings um, so that basically I worked that relationship for the next year so that they would say yes. So it's a really long-term approach. And it was also learning saying not everybody wants what you want. So you have to think it from it from another perspective. And you also have to be willing to fail enthusiastically. In that instance, I could have gone home and put my tail between my legs, but no, that's not how you have to do negotiations. You have to outlast them. And as, as women, we know that we're in for the long haul. And we also know that there's an end game for other people. So it's that would probably be the first big lesson, I think, to keep in mind is, number one, you're going to fail in your negotiations. How are you going to learn? And when they say no, I just would collect no's. That's how I kind of went into it. Oh, got another no. And it became kind of a game. So that is like just the, the tip of negotiating strategies. And uh, it's a very basic strategy. I love the fact that you are, you know, advocating for not being totally crushed after your first no, because it is the long game, as you said. And I think so many people, especially in sales degrees, can just resonate with that, that oftentimes the first no is, is, is not the end of the conversation. And maybe the third no isn't the end of the conversation, but it's coming back in a thoughtful, meaningful way to keep the door open to those discussions 
that sounds like it just it led to a lot of success over the long term on on your behalf. In order for the people that you're negotiating with to respect your viewpoint and consider your request seriously, you totally have to remain unemotional, remain calm and collected. And so um, I know you once walked into a Planet GM and earned the $50 million business of the AFL-CIO. So how did remaining calm in that situation help you with that really tough negotiation? Well, I think, I mean, that was a huge deal that, um, and when you have a deal that big, you usually have a team of people. So I can't take all the credit for the negotiation of that, but, but being part of the team as you're walking through, I mean, that's a several months, if not a couple of years that you're working through what are, what, how you can get this deal and what can you do? And you get to the point where you start pitching it and we're in the room pitching it. And they just shut us down as fast, you know, they shut us down as fast as we would pitch. And so what we did was we, we always role play before we go into these giant negotiations. And so we would role play questions. So I had a series of questions and my counterparts had a series of questions. And so we, we didn't get hung up on the no. We just started asking questions to figure out how you get back in there and get in the game again, because we were there. And now they just shut us down. So uh, when we go into those meetings too, we give each other, uh, we, you kind of kind of put yourself into character, right? Think about a movie where somebody was negotiating. Think about somebody being stoic and calm and cool and collected. And that's who you become for that negotiation. You're an actor filling a part and doing a role, right? And you have your questions. And during the question, the questioning phase, uh, when they told us no, we learned that their plants and that it was a multi-million dollar sale with the major equipment in there for all their plants um, in North America. So we were look, asking through questions and we found out they had a huge problem. They had this equipment that they were renting and they had no idea how much the equipment was. They had these as far as what was being utilized, what was it? And that was the hook we needed because we were like, okay, how about this? In with in conjunction with the sale and the contract for major equipment throughout North America, what if we went in to every single one of your plants and we did an audit, internal audit and inventory of what equipment you had, what type of shape it was in, and we performed that audit so you could see, you know, you, we could save you probably millions of dollars just through the audit, but that's what we'll do as part of the deal. That was what sold the deal. The deal was not equipment. Anybody can provide equipment. We provided a solution to a problem that they had. And in hindsight, I mean, when we went through those plants, we found millions of dollars in the first year worth of equipment that had been sitting there not being utilized on rental agreements that they were paying for that equipment over maybe 12 years. And it was rusted. It was in the corner. Nobody even knew it existed, but they just automatically paid for it. So that... It's kind of where you really need to do your work and not be hindered by a no. And you need to be able to rebound after your no to figure out what's next and where's that hole that I can get in. You're really, it's a strategy in which you're looking for that opportunity. So it makes it like a game. I love that, Patrice. And I would say the other, um, I think, kernel of wisdom that you just offered is the preparation that you did entering into that negotiation. 
as we noted at the top of the hour, knowledge is power and preparation for a negotiation or any kind of uh, sales encounter is really critical. Understanding what what success looks like for the other person that you're dealing with can be really critical. You also mentioned a couple examples where it's incredibly important to listen carefully and acknowledge the other person. When, when um, you recognize it's time to be quiet and let the other party speak, that can be time of incredible insight, much like you did in that example where you learned what success looks like for the party that you're dealing with, and then you solved a problem that they had. You've given great examples of how to ask questions and how to listen carefully. And I think two of the most powerful strategies you can deploy are to listen well, which builds trust, and then pose questions that encourage the other party to defend their position. So I know you've met with the Penguins and the mayor of Pittsburgh to discuss rescheduling the marathon. And so what questions did you ask during those negotiations that really helped ensure a really successful outcome for those um, situations? So for that, that was a tricky year. So it was year two. We had grown from 10,000 to 16,000 runners, um, plus, you know, 3,000 volunteers and everybody else that goes along with it. The players made it to the playoffs and the city of Pittsburgh is relatively small. So having two major events on the same day represented an issue. So the mayor calls and says, come on in. I need to talk. You know, we need to figure out how we're going to work together with the marathon and the penguins uh, having a playoff game. So we and then there was also a Pirates um, uh, game that day, too. So there were three major events that day in the city of Pittsburgh in a relatively tiny town and with a little footprint downtown. So I we go into the mayor's meeting and I had uh, with us our chairman of the board who said, uh, I'll do the heavy lifting here and do blah, blah, blah. Right. So I was like, OK, well, that's good. I'm off the hot seat. It was only year two. And he was an experienced attorney who had done a lot of litigation. So I was like, oh, this is perfect. So we get in to this giant boardroom and we have the Penguins, we have the Pirates, we have public safety. We have every key department within the city of Pittsburgh represented around that table. And the very first thing that the Penguins did at that point was they looked at me and they said, Patrice, you're going to need to reschedule your, your marathon because we have a playoff game. And I looked at them and I said, well, okay, if I reschedule my playoff game or play, reschedule the marathon, will you do all the calling to the 16,000 people to let them know that you're changing the time of the marathon? And because if you could do that, that would be really great. And they're like, oh, 16,000 people. I go, yeah, you just need to call them up and put something together and we'll figure it out. And the whole dynamic changed because then uh, once the city realized that I was saying, yeah, that would mess up all of the operations for the police and for emergency management. And they will, they interjected because I had hits on something that they're interested in, right? And this is something that's public safety. And they're like, whoa, 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 Patrice, nobody's going to call anybody. The way, because shifts all change, they're already booked out for the weekend and they realized this would be a disaster. And so uh, I 
basically didn't have to do anything. They did the work for me, but I just appealed to their interest first. And when I appealed to the public safety interest and said, hey, you know, this is all we have to do. I said, but it'll probably give the city a black eye too, because it's a PR issue. You've got 16,000 people. And it shut down everything immediately. The mayor interjected at that point and said, we're not changing the date or time of the marathon. We're going to work together. And he said, I didn't have to do it. And the lawyer didn't have to do anything because I was called first on the hot seat. That's such an amazing story. I mean, gosh, and I could just actually picture all of you sitting around the table during this heated discussion, which was probably so tense, but it sounds like you handled it so beautifully. And it's such a great lesson for our our listenership here, because we're all going to be put in situations that are, you know, maybe not that exact one, obviously, but very similar. And just gleaning that um, expertise from you today is really helpful. So we have one final question around leadership, Patrice, and um, tell us a little bit about what your best piece, so that one best piece or best lesson um, around leadership that you want to share about your experience and leave with our audience today. So I think the most important thing that a leader can do is to be flexible and to be a and also be able to put themselves in other people's situations because then it makes for an interesting and more of a dynamic conversation. Um, cause you could walk into something thinking, I got to get all these things in this meeting. But as a leader, if you're not understanding who's in your room and what you have to offer and where you're going to be flexible and where you're not, I think those are the key things because if you're able to throw some concessions out when you're, you're getting objections to the negotiations and they're saying, well, this would be a problem for us. And you're able to, on some of those areas, you're able to just say, okay, great. That's a concession that we're willing to give up. So it's coming into the room, knowing what concessions you're willing to give up, knowing what you're going to stay true and hard core on. And then also not even being as hardcore, even on those hardcore items, there are certainly things that you can weave in there. And I always say to everybody that I work with is because people love to say no, right? Can I do this? No. Can you do this? No. It's the easy way. I always used to tell all of my team is don't tell them what they can't do. Tell them what they can do. So it's the nicest way of overcoming a no, right? So if they ask you, you know, I want to have, I want to do this and I want this much free or this much percentage off on whatever I'm buying or doing, you can say, well, I'd be glad to do that for you. But at the back end, we're going to need to do X, Y, Z, which makes up the difference. You're not saying absolutely not. You're actually pivoting to an entirely different conversation, right? And telling them what they can do, which also, by the way, benefits you. Because what they can do is your solution is going to benefit you and them. But they look at it more as something that they're willing to give up. I And when you can give up concessions um, that are easy concessions to give up, and we always throw easy concessions in our plans, um, then it makes them more willing to offer concessions because the stark contrast is, oh, well, she's willing to do all these things. Okay, well, I guess we could come over and do these things. And then it's just pivoting and looking for the holes 
in what you're doing, right? You get objections and you know, okay, this is something that won't work, but what if I creatively restructure it, push it back on them and say, this would work really well. How about this? And so it's really being on top of what you're doing and understanding how people's minds work and really looking at what their interests are and not coming into it saying, oh, I'm a nonprofit and you should just give me money because I do good work. Now, there's always a benefit and there's always value that you're going to deliver as a result of that deal. So, yeah, so I guess that that would be it is know your room. Uh, don't tell them what they can't do. Tell them what they can do and know ahead of time how to rephrase those different aspects. And also, I always say you always have to build rapport. I never go into negotiations only with me. I bring a team and every every person on the team has a report has a uh, has a role in the meeting and the negotiations because during your meeting um, you may see one of your team members having a better rapport with certain key people on the other side and when you get that signal then it's time for you to let that person take over because they obviously have the rapport and are building something and it doesn't matter who gets the credit if you get the deal right so it's not putting your ego in the way. Oh, that's so great. And super, super smart. Incredible insight, Patrice. I'm so thankful that you joined us today to share all of your expertise and your experience on negotiating win-win um, situations. So that's, uh, that's so appreciated. Now, if our audience wants to get in touch with you uh, for further advice or guidance or insight, What's the best way for them to contact you? Uh, the best way would be either through LinkedIn um, and under Patrice Matamoros, or they could go directly to my email, email me questions at Patrice M. Like Mary Matamoros, my last name at gmail.com. That's perfect. So, so yeah. Patrice, thank you. Thank you again so much. Christina and I both are so grateful for your time and for sharing so um, willingly, all of your experience and your expertise, and we wish you uh, incredible continued success. And thank you again for being a part of Leadership Global. Well, thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it. And I'm super excited about the work you guys are doing because it's fantastic. Thank you, Patrice. All right. Thank you for joining Leadership Global, a podcast for and about unstoppable women stepping into courage, claiming their power, and embracing bold leadership. Join us each week as we talk to a collection of inspirational women changing the world and tackling the most pressing issues we're facing today as women and as leaders. See you next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.